Okay, this is Jubilate uh, Sunday in the church, Rejoicing Sunday, and the, in the new, it's Rejoicing in the New Creation normally uh, this week. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So let's pray. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew the world fallen into sin and death, grant to us, we beg you, that you may discern in your Son the dawning of true life and in him share in his new creation, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Okay, uh, stuff to send around. This will go to Westfield House in England. Uh, if you have an extra 50 cents, toss it in there. Here's a uh, attendance sheet. Sign that up, please, if you will. Good morning, Betty. Questions about anything? Anybody? Remember, there's a voters meeting at 2. You can, you can come as early as 1.15 and sign up to move in. Remember, change now. It's going to be in the gym. So come in through the doors just as you normally go into the gym. Um, people have worked very hard, uh, school board folk and church, church uh, staff folk and, and elders and governing board. So um, please come. Uh, I know the information meetings went uh, quite well. It was, there was a lot of data presented. But um, please come and be supportive. And um, just realize, be thankful for how much time the school board, the elders, the governing board uh, have put into trying to um, make all these pieces fit together. They've done a great job. So, um, you know, come along and, and uh, have a listen. Um, I speak as a man and not from the Lord. Uh, you probably should just pass it. It's the best that folks can do. They've worked together. They've worked hard. And... Um, you can't imagine the number of meetings and hours and stuff that people put in over the past months really trying to get this right. So um, kind of compliments all around to school board, to governing board, to elders, staff, trying to get that right. So, um, uh, and I think everybody's happy on all sides. It sounds like it from the information meetings. It sounds like everybody feels like it'll work for them and, and give us uh, a good shot at going forward. So um, please do come. If you're a voting member especially, please do come. And that'll be a good deal. Anything else? Okay, um, I'm gonna, this is the transition week then. We sort of spent some time. Uh, you remember where we started, and, and we'll have to go back and kind of take another run at this. We started with justice and mercy, and um, you know, trying to move us a little bit to be a more merciful folk. Uh, nevertheless, there is justice in the world, and we need to think about that, because we also need to be the sort of people who will work for justice uh, while we still live in mercy. And we took a bit of a pause to strengthen our own confessions as we um, confess sin to the Lord and to each other. It's really not enough uh, or not best or not mature, uh, especially if you've really dinged somebody else just to say, hey, I'm sorry. Um, that was the exercise over the past five or six weeks. Hey, I'm sorry, and kind of walk past that. Um, that's not the way of the scriptures. The way of the scriptures is... You know, Zacchaeus sitting down and saying, wow, I've, I've stiffed everybody I ever collected tax from. And I do think it's Zacchaeus who says he'll repay four times what he, what he stole, is it not? Uh, so we're going to transition a little bit after justice today into restitution. Because um, part of making wrongs right, uh, Jesus, of course, makes wrongs right. But also, insofar as you're able, you make wrongs right. That's part of the Christian way. You can't, I can't, you can't, we can't bang away at other people and then just sort of say, oh, I'm sorry, as if nothing ever happened. 
with our sins, as we've talked about, we do real damage to the Lord, to his church, and to each other. And when we come repentant, it's important for us to undo the damages insofar as we're able. If you stole, you give the money back. If you've gossiped, you go to every person you've gossiped to and you tell the truth. Um, you know, if you've undone somebody, you go back and insofar as you're able, you try to do what's right. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit. That's integral to the scriptures. It's, um, it's all over the place. And sometimes we, um, it's so easy for us to be forgiven. Uh, it's so easy, we sort of take it for granted. The Wall Street Journal had a great, there's a great new book on Bonhoeffer out this week. Um, Eric Metaxas is the author, and there was a review in the Wall Street Journal uh, where it talked about, you know, Bonhoeffer, this was the very thing that he rebelled about. You know it as the phrase cheap grace, or you may know it as the, as the phrase um, religionless Christianity, where um, Christianity is treated almost as a nothing, or almost as uh, a free pass, or almost uh, as, as of the world. And, you know, that's not the life. That's not the life of Christ. The follow me life is the life that goes to the cross and suffers for other people, and also the life that resurrects and lives a new life uh, by way of baptism and Eucharist. So uh, we need to kind of work that through. And of course, then the payoff will be as we sort of move down, uh, as Johansson said so, so well uh, yesterday, uh, you know, how do we live in the future? How do we create a culture so, uh, you know, we don't, we don't ding each other up again? So part of the, part of the, um, Part of the learning is to, uh, the first thing I ever say to any new vicar is you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. And I guess I would say that to you too. You don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. Once you've gotten in trouble, gosh, it's too late. Now you've got a big mess to clean up. You know, you don't get out of a mess, you just don't make a mess in the first place. And that's what we need to work at um, as a congregation. That will define us then as a different kind of community. Okay? So I just, um, I ran these for you. Uh, it was Marty Johnson who gave me the book from Kenneth Bailey, who I've had acquaintance with over the years, and many of you have probably as well, and we've talked about his stuff. He's an old man now, grew up in the Middle East. Um, he started his career by going around to Bedouin tribes out in the desert where things change almost not at all, and reading them Jesus' stories and then saying, what does this mean? He didn't tell them. He said, you know, he reads the story and says, what does this mean? They say, oh, that means, and they would tell him how, how people who were more uh, dear or closer to Jesus' culture would have heard the stories. And then he's, he's kind of started his, his work that way. Now he's an old man, um, you know, and, and sort of it's always good to pay attention to, to guys when they make their last old man book. Uh, Luther's commentary on Genesis, for example, five volumes, last big thing he did, just absolutely brilliant, because uh, everything gets rolled up together. So um, we need to talk about a couple of things. We need to talk about how we engage each other. I've tried to talk the last few weeks about how uh, the best confession of sin really, um, you know, rings all anger out, all bitterness. And what you're really looking for is the restoration of your brother. Uh, so it's the ultimate not about you, especially when you've been sinned against, to sort of wring the anger out, to wring out the bitterness, and to come with as pure a heart as possible, which is extraordinarily difficult. It's very difficult, because when people wound you deeply, when they've gone after you, your family, your job, your career, you know, your church, um, it's very difficult to kind of, kind of set that aside and try to be reconciled to them. Nevertheless, that's uh, what we do to Christ every day with our sins, right? So we want to try to learn how to do that. The problem is, is that people often think that sin doesn't matter. Uh, sin is just ignoring things. And, and I said to you a few weeks ago, 
you know, it's not enough. One of the moves in this congregation has been when there's sin going on, people used to walk away. And then when there's sin going on, people just stay silent. But we've come to the point where walking away and staying silent are not the Christological, not the Christ-like thing to do. The thing to do is to challenge the sin as it happens and to stop it. And you'll see that um, here. So there, you can have both things. You can have a true forgiveness, uh, but also you can have a world that's just. You know, it's this very interesting thing. Jesus, the grace is utterly unfair. Jesus is utterly unfair. He dies for your sins. It's utterly unfair. He gives you what you don't deserve. But he does that so you can go out and be fair. It's utterly unjust that Jesus is killed, but he goes to the cross unjustly so that you and I can live in justice. He gives his mercy so that we can live in a world that looks like the ten words, that looks like the promised land. And so forgiveness is not, uh, you can just keep sinning and it's all going to be okay. That's not forgiveness at all. And that's not the kingdom of God and that's not the church. It's something very different. But to have the strength to actually create a community where um, sin is forgiven and also not tolerated, and that's done in a kind and cohesive way. It's extraordinarily difficult. You almost never find it. But you know what? We've got the chance to be that kind of community. So maybe we can work at that. Toward that, I've given you um, three quotes, two from Bailey and one from the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I just want you to um, maybe read along with me, because I can't do it better than these guys. So we're going to start with the fifth Sunday in Lent. You have a bulletin cover. We ran this very intentionally through Lent. We ran Bailey every Sunday during Lent uh, to try to help us understand. Um, you know, you can interrupt me if you want. At any point when I'm reading, you can ask a question. Maybe the question will come up later, maybe not. I don't want to get too far ahead of you. On the other hand, I do want to try to move through there. Uh, your gaining reminds me from time to time that we're actually sharing this Bible study, even though you haven't seen him since '09. So, um, all right. So I'm on the front page. It says, Fifth Sunday after Lent, the divine service under the welcome. Furthermore, biblical forgiveness does not mean never mind. Now, we've talked about that. So biblical forgiveness doesn't mean the proper response, if I say, please forgive me, your proper response is, I forgive you. It's not never mind. It's not, oh, it was nothing. It's not, it doesn't matter. Those are all illusions. Those are all worldly responses. And, and, you know, I've talked about this so many things. Now, you have to wrap up a lot of things. I've also talked to you about Matthew 18, where every time somebody sneezes next to you, it's not a cause for Matthew 18. Sometimes people have a bad day, and we need to have a lot of tolerance for our friends uh, and our family and even for our enemies. But one, So one of the things you have to work hard at is sorting out what's a sin that rises to the level beyond somebody just saying, uh, gosh, he had a bad day. So perpetual gossip needs to be confronted, because that's not somebody having a bad day. That's somebody stringing bad days together as habit. Or somebody who abuses their children. That's not having a bad day. That's, that's, that's habitual sin that is destructive. Okay, So you have to sort that out. But in general, when it comes to the point of somebody saying, I'm sorry, never mind is not the right answer. Offering forgiveness does not dictate that injustice must be tolerated. Mr. Lee, you have a question already. I'm only 14 words in. Good for you. What's up? Uh, the question, I mean, uh, the 
Okay, did you get that? So we can't read other people's hearts. So um, I say to you, uh, please forgive me. And you say, I forgive you. And now I wonder, you know, are you just saying that to get by? Or, you know, do you really mean it? Or you just want it to go away? So let me just ask you, how would you deal with that when that happens to you? Sorry? So that's going to be one point. Measurement does come by action. And we've done several verses about love being obedience, right? So there's going to be some measurable effect eventually. We have to be careful with that. Um, we have to be careful how much we expect of people. But if I stole 50 bucks from you and I say I'm sorry and you say I forgive you, I'd be giving you the 50 bucks back. If you said a horrible thing about me, I, you know, or if I said a horrible thing about you, you say I forgive you. I say, so let's say I gossip to Carol about you. I say, I'm very sorry, please forgive me. You say, I forgive you. My next words are, and I'm going to go to Carol and straighten it out. Of course, gossip is particularly difficult because she's talked, to, and talked over here, and now all those people, you almost can't get it back, although it would be an interesting exercise to try. But that's why lies are such a, such a devious thing, because you can't, you can't reel them back in. I didn't say that. I was just an example. <clears throat> so I withdraw, the, I withdraw the comparison. But the old Buddhist thing, you know, the old Buddhist thing about a flying arrow and a harsh word can never be recalled, you know, that's exactly right. You know, it's like trying to grab an arrow that's already been launched into flight. However, one might expect um, some form of restitution, and that's the next thing we're going to talk about. But my first advice is to believe what people tell you. That's why pastors get so jammed up. Um, because we believe what people, what, what people tell us. We, don't, we can't see people's hearts, but we work with what people tell us. Um, but that really depends on people saying honestly what it is they think and, and, and believe, right? It's just like the Lord's Supper. If people say it's the body and blood, we commune them. If they say it's not the body and blood, we don't commune them. If they say it's the body and blood and live in notorious sin, then we have to make a call, but not because we can see in their hearts, but we can see that they're cheating on their wife. So we make it based not on our observation of their heart, but on their observation of action that anybody could see. Okay? Offering forgiveness does not dictate that injustice must be tolerated. So somebody just says, you know, I forgive you, and it's all squared up. Actually, it's not squared. Um, not that easily. There, or, or maybe I should say it is squared and it isn't squared. You know, it is squared up, but there's work to be done yet. Various forms of injustice occur in every culture, and people everywhere struggle for justice as they understand it and fight for causes to them that are more sacred than life. This is one of the problems with justice, is everybody has a different idea of justice, and that's why we went through the ten words, because that's the divine standard for justice. Today in the Middle East, from Iran to Sudan, various communities seek justice in difficult and critical situations of injustice. Naturally for them, the word justice looms large. Christians must struggle for justice for all. Wherever they live and in whatever circumstances they find themselves. You really have to ask, ask questions about children going to bed hungry in America. You have to ask those questions. You really have to ask questions about people sleeping on the street. You really have to ask questions about abortion. You must ask those questions because those questions are contained in the teaching of Jesus. Those who pray this prayer are not affirming injustice can continue. It doesn't really matter. You see that? Forgiveness is not, it doesn't really matter. Forgiveness is, I was a damn sinner. Please forgive me, and I'm going to do my best to make it right. And so you heard last week um, Peter 
denies Jesus. Jesus forgives him three times to cover up his three denials and sends him on his way. And Peter then goes faithfully, doesn't deny Jesus again, goes to the cross. We talked about that last week. Those who pray this prayer are not affirming injustice can continue. It doesn't really matter. We're willing to ignore injustice to ourselves and others. So as I've often said to you, you know, um, a woman who lets her husband beat her does no favors to the man. It's not a way of loving him. It's a way of hating him. To tolerate injustice, to tolerate sin is a way of hating people, not a way of loving them. The prayer does not signal to the perpetrator. The prayer does not signal to the perpetrator of injustice. You can do anything you choose with us, because to be a Christian means to be a doormat. To really stand up for justice, to stand up for what's right, is in fact to be Christian. Now, there's all sorts of nuance that goes with patience and love and mercy and forbearing. But here's the thing: grow up from milk to meat. Figure out the nuance. Work hard. Be mature. And if you don't know how to do it, then follow other people who are mature. That's what the scriptures say. You heard it actually today in Acts. Paul sits all the pastors down and he said, I've made you pastors. Elders and overseers are the words for pastors. He's basically acting like a bishop. And he's saying, I've made you pastors. I put you into place. In fact, it says in there, elders, overseas, and it says put into the ministry at one point, which echoes 1 Timothy 1. And he basically says, this is what happened. This is what I taught you. This is what I lived. And this is what you need to do now because I'm going to go die. How then can forgiveness be understood as it relates to injustice? So how do you put these two things together? This opens the topic of justice and then restitution. Let us assume, and here, Mr. Lee, here we go. Let us assume that the person who struggles for justice is not on an ego trip and that the injustice suffered is genuine. So that's what I've tried to say already. It's a real sin worth talking about, and people really want to get squared up. This prayer asks the one who struggles for justice to forgive the persons or persons against whom he or she struggles. This prayer asks you to love your enemies. Through forgiveness, the bitterness, anger, hatred, and desire for revenge are drained out of the struggle. If you get anything out of the next couple of weeks, get that. If we can drain out the bitterness, anger, hatred, and desire for revenge and come with a pure, pure heart, it's extraordinarily difficult for everybody. Me, you, everybody. It's so hard because it means you love the other person more than you love yourself. It means that the most important thing for you is to be reconciled to that brother. So it's just so, so difficult. But if we can do that, And the person contends with those for whom he or she may now be able to feel genuine compassion. You actually feel sorry for the person who sinned against you because you know that they've touched unholy things and separated themselves from God. This will influence enormously, and this is a key word, the style of the struggle. So we've had struggles in our congregation where our style has been very good. We've had struggles in our congregation where our style hasn't been very good, right? When it didn't go very good, it's because we were plagued by anger, bitterness, the desire for revenge, and hatred. Okay, So the style of the struggle. After the offered forgiveness, the struggle for justice continues, but now there are things the person will not do. The day of victory or defeat will not become a day of vengeance. Okay, So now 
Gosh, this was the very first week when we talked about this. Do you remember when we talked about the psalm where vengeance is mine, I will repay? So this is kind of, this is going back, you know, way before Christmas. The whole point was we want to be reconciled, but not by the way of vengeance. The vengeance will belong to the Lord. He'll discipline, he'll chastise, he'll punish, he'll destroy, he'll raise up. That all belongs to the Lord. My job, your job, our job together is to take all the sinfulness out of the equation, to push it as far as we can, and agree together, Mr. Lee, I've done a horrible thing to you. Please forgive me. And your answer is, that's right. You did a horrible thing to me. Uh, you did a horrible thing to me, and I forgive you. You know, that we agree together on the sin, and we agree together on the forgiveness, and then we agree together on the restitution. I'll make it right. Some things you can't make right, of course. You know, you hit your wife. You you can't make that right. You can't. You you hit your child. You you just you can't undo that. You lie about somebody. You can't be undone. Um, that's why some things are so grievous. They just can't be undone. You have to you have to be forgiven, and you have to you have to find a way to move on and get even. Let them become to you as a gift and a blessing. It's very difficult. Which is why then the whole mantra of touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. So this is this is kind of bringing together all the pieces we've been um, talking about, and this was it was so nice of Marty to give this to us, you know, to recognize this in his own reading. Um, last line: Only after forgiving the enemy is it possible to con- commend such a path of action. Now you see how you see how um, much is going on there. I mean, golly, that is that is just a lot of moving parts, and it's hard to do that when you're angry with somebody. You know, we don't always use our best judgment when we're angry, and it's so many its so many moving parts. You have to isolate what the sin is. You have to sort out whether it's a sin big enough to talk to somebody about. You have to screw up the courage to go. You, 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 you don't go in bitterness and anger. You pray for the best result. You, you want them to see it too. Once both see it, forgiveness is offered, and when both see it and forgiveness is offered, restitution comes uh, in some way that isn't isn't humiliating or isn't vengeful, but is rather is reconstructive, recreative. The prayer we just prayed, that we live in the resurrected world in the newness of life. That makes sense? It's, it's very hard. But if we could pull this off, we'd actually be church. I mean, if we could pull this off, we'd be a community. In fact, if we could, Joe Hansen, part of the thing that he said, and Joe's working with the whole stuff that's trailing out of AOR, but you know, part of it was what should St. John be known for? If I could pick one thing, this is what it would be for. Because most churches, 99 and 100 churches are not like this. 99 and 100 churches don't handle sin and confession and forgiveness and restitution well. But if we could be the kind of church that could do that. Um, it's very dangerous. Uh, you put yourself out there, and if somebody dupes you on the way, um, it can mean your death in, in, in a range of different ways. Um, it can be the end of you in a very real sense. In the way that when you trust your kids or you trust your business partner or you trust your spouse or you trust your best friend, if they betray you, you so don't see it coming that you're leveled by it. That's the downside. That's the risk. But if we all agree together that we will not live that kind of life, that that is off limits, that that's of the world and not of the church. 
that that's of sin and not of righteousness. The first John readings have been brilliant at the morning Eucharist these past few weeks about how if you do a sin, you're a sinner, and if you receive righteousness, you're righteous. Carry on, little children, in the way of righteousness. And righteousness is found in love. So it's a dangerous proposition, I will admit to you, but um, honest to God, it's the only thing that matters. So you might just think about, um, if I could say one thing where this church should go, that would be it. Okay? Still okay? All right, now look at the next page. It's a, it says Palm Sunday, March. It's, a, it's not a bulletin cover. It's a, just a blank sheet. This is horribly important. I want to. I want to. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think this says in advance, and then we can talk about it if you want. But one of the things that we confronted, um, I think, was that our imaginations were actually greater than the sin. Uh, one of the things when people lie and gossip and talk, what happens is the stories get bigger and bigger on all sides, and then people get caricatured, and imaginations run rampant. And people act then on their character and imagination, and it just is a self-fulfilling, sinful kind of prophecy. Uh, and he gives a very interesting example of, of, you know, how to keep imagination under control. The world despises this theology, that is, this forgiveness, justice, and mercy. Now look at this. Because it thinks anger is necessary to fuel the struggle for justice. Turn on the news tonight, wherever it's happening, you will see wherever there are protests happening, you will see the leaders of those political protests trying to instill anger in most cases. A Gandhi is the exception. A, a nonviolent protest is the exception. The rule normally is to stir people's anger, right? So people think anger is necessary for justice and that forgiveness will dissipate that anger. That's not true either. The Christian disagrees and replies, no. I will forgive, and I will struggle for justice. Now, you see what that means? When you and I do that, we're able to erase ourselves. I don't want justice anymore because I want it. I'm just going to pick on you, Mr. Lee, because I have been. I don't want justice anymore because I want it, or I want to be in control, or I want to be restored. I want justice because I want you restored. I want justice because I want you forgiven. I want justice because I want to pull you away from unholy things, and I want to push you toward holy things. You see the difference? I want justice because I want you to live and not to die. And we did this way back at the beginning, you know? The way justice normally comes to us is, you did this to me, and I'm angry, and I will destroy you. It's an all-or-nothing game. I will destroy you. That is not biblical justice. Jesus goes to the cross. It is the ultimate act of justice, and it is for your resurrection and mine. It is utterly, utterly opposite the world. Okay? Okay, so the Christian disagrees and replies, no, I'll forgive and I'll struggle for you. I may still be angry. And real honestly, you may not be able to wait till your anger completely cools because you may never get it under control. There's some point you just have to go where you can control your anger and get, get, get forgiven. But my struggle for justice will be purified by forgiveness and thereby become more effective. The more forgiveness, the less anger, the better the justice. What then of historic injustices? And this is brilliant because sometimes you think, well, these are just guys talking, you know, theoretically behind a desk. Look at this. 
the South African writer Lawrence Vanderpost was interred by the Japanese during World War II and almost died as a result. So here's a guy, he's put in a concentration camp, he almost dies. In his book, Venture to the Interior, he describes how after the war, he discovered that the war crimes officers who had not suffered in the conflict were more revengeful and bitter about our treatment and our suffering in prison than we ourselves. See, imagination gets bigger than reality. That's why lies are so dangerous, because lies fuel the imagination. The imagination builds caricature. Caricature, in turn, fuels the anger, and anger goes to hate. That's why the truth is so important. That's why objective truth is so important. If that's the gaining child, I'd like some quiet. Uh, there's, another, there's, another, there's a couple little sinners coming to baptism. It's going to be great. We're going to have some fun at 11.15. So, so here, go ahead. I got a question. I'm going to drag it back. Uh, okay. If I go to Mr. Lee and I say, please forgive me for what I said today. Right. And Mr. Lee says, yes, I forgive you. Right. I don't feel like that. I end up not really forgiving you. You might. So Jack's question is, he goes, I'm sorry. Right. So Jack says, he goes to Mr. Lee, forgive me. Lee says, I, I do forgive you. And then Jack wonders a bit. Now, you've got to be careful there, because already you were, were reading the guy's heart. But he said, maybe we, could, maybe we could firm that up by going to the altar together and pray. Here's the thing. Use whatever you can get. Stand in front of a crucifix. Go to the Eucharist. Say a prayer at the altar. Use every resource you can to sort of embolden the forgiveness, okay? Use everything you've got. Because done properly, this is so hard. I mean, this is, you know what's so sad about this? This should be like falling off a log for us as Christians. This should be easy money. I mean, we should have a, this is, this is why, you know, part of the reason we've talked so much about private confession is not because we value private confession more highly than public confession. It's that private confession teaches you to do this. This is just lost to us. We don't even know how to forgive each other. The, the closest we get is peace be with you and walking on. We don't name what we did. We don't say we'll make it up. Or why don't you forgive me or I forgive you. It doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're paupers when it comes to forgiving each other. So whatever you can do to strengthen the experience, so long as you let the objective words of Jesus, I forgive you, you're my brother in Christ, have the full blast, okay? Let them, let them have the deal. So I've often noticed that the suffering which is most difficult, if not impossible, to forgive is unreal, imagined suffering. Right? There is no power on earth like imagination, and the worst, most obstinate grievances are the imagined ones. Isn't that remarkable? Let us recognize that there are people and nations who create, with a submerged deliberation, a sense of suffering and of grievance which enable them to evade those aspects of reality that do not minister to their self-importance, personal pride, and convenience. So here's the thing. While you're rooting out the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, and the revenge, as long as you're in the middle of your soul, you might as well go for the self-importance, personal pride, and convenience, right? You see how all these things, everything is running against this. All our natural impulses. 
corrupt as they are, run against forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is an otherworldly thing. These imagined ills enable them to avoid the proper burden that life lays on all of us. I'd suggest to you that the proper burden that life lays on us is to live in forgiveness. Persons who have really suffered at the hands of others do not find it difficult to forgive. There is a point, actually, where people break you so that um, the facts kind of fall away. You know, initially with sins, you, you might score them and you might keep a list and there might be a things that you think can be, but there is some place, it must be like, you know, over a hundred or a thousand, where you simply say, the history can't even help us anymore. It'll just be all or nothing. It'll all be forgiven or it won't. So um, you might have to come to that point. Yes, Ramona. Yes, it should be. The, yes. Right. The offer should come from the person. So if I say to you, um, you've sinned greatly against me, and you say, I'm very sorry, and then I say, I forgive you, your next word should be, what can I do to make it right? Because that is, as John the Baptizer said, bearing fruits that befit repentance. Repentance is a life. In scripture, words are always action. Love is obedience. You know, emotion is action. Words are action. Something really happens with words. Jesus speaks realities. He speaks to the bread and wine. It becomes a... See, it, it's, it's all of a seamless cloth. You're going to have to dig up everything you've ever learned about being a Christian to try to make this work because it is precisely at the forgiveness point that all you know and the best that you're able to be needs to come to the fore. And the saddest thing about this is this should be our bread and butter. And this is the thing that is most missing in the church. Because we kind of blow off our sins like they don't matter, and frankly, they do matter. Ultimately, unholy things destroy people. People who have really suffered at the hands of others do not find it difficult to forgive, nor even to understand the people who cause their suffering. They do not find it difficult to forgive because, out of suffering and sorrow, truly endured, comes an instinctive sense of privilege. Recognition of the creative truth comes in a flash. Forgiveness for others as for ourselves, for we too know not what we do. Light streams from the Lord's Prayer in many directions. Um, I just want you to flip over, because I do want to finish, and I want to give Pastor Ganig a chance to have, have a go next week. This comes from um, my old tutor, Rowan Williams, who's now the Archbishop of Canterbury who is um, quite an interesting man. This one says, uh, the welcome, it's just on the other side. I just, we'll just quickly do this, because it'll take five minutes and we'll be done. When a Christian is asked whether or not he or she would forgive, let's say a terrorist bomber, the answer should not be, of course. Now that might set you on edge a little bit. For one thing, it isn't for anyone to forgive someone who has injured another. It's for the victim to forgive, right? which is so important then that the, tr that, the, that the relationship is restored. And forgiveness can't just be mandated as something to be done once and for all and straight away. Certainly Christians are told to forgive each other, but they should know better than most how long a job it can be. 
They can say that it's possible, but God forbid that they should try to force the pace for someone whose hurts they don't know of firsthand. So you want to be very careful of being critical of other people for being unforgiving. Nor should forgiveness be confused with leniency or making light of an outrage. A person may be forgiven by their victim, yet it will still be right for them to serve out a sentence or in other ways have, a deal, have to deal with the consequence of an action. It's been a remarkable week in the Catholic Church. Uh, Archbishop, bishop, bishop, three bishops and an archbishop all this week. Very powerful men uh, have either resigned or, or tendered their resignation over what um, they either did to children or failed to stop. Um, that's this, okay? No, forgiveness is the restoration of a relation. This is how we talk about community. Humanly, with the victim of an offense, great or small, but also a relation with God. And you have to remember that if you and I aren't squared up, we aren't squared up with the Lord either, right? To say as we do in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins is to claim not that offenses don't matter, nor that things can easily be made right again, but simply that even the worst of our failures cannot shut a door for God. That's extraordinarily important. As difficult as I've made this sound, and as difficult as it really is, God is bigger than what we've struggled with. That makes it possible for us. It is yet another implication of the way we earlier defined God's omnipotence. There is no situation in which his presence, stunningly important that it's his presence, Eucharistic presence, word and sacrament presence, baptismal presence, cannot make some difference. Yet he has given us the power to say no, even if he never will. A belief in the forgiveness of sins is a tough and difficult one. And yet it points out more clearly than almost anything else the glory and the liberty of God. So God does remarkable things, and he gives you the energy, the divine energy, to be able to do remarkable things as well. And it's an extraordinarily difficult path, as you know from Lent. There's a reason we take 40 days to get Jesus to the cross. But if you want it, you see, it's possible. And if you want church, this is church. And if you want to be defined by who Jesus is and what matters to him, this is the answer. So, um, you know, people have asked, what are we doing going forward? If you don't do anything more than what we did today in the last 40 minutes, you will flourish. You'll flourish as a person, we will flourish as a congregation, and we'll be known as a place where Jesus makes wrongs right, and that actually matters. Where he makes wrongs right, and it actually matters. So, uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for us. It's a great opportunity. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.